just get us started this week, week two of All In, by sharing with you some crazy idea, right? Could you imagine if there was such a thing as ants that basically have a fungus that takes over their brain and causes them to march and move um, unwillingly, but their body are being controlled by this fungus into the direction, into an environment where this fungus could ultimately multiply and grow. It's the surroundings that are necessary for it to thrive. And then the body of the ant dies and decays and the fungus uses their body as fertilizer. You would probably think, I'm talking about some sort of crazy ant zombie film from the 1950s, some, some foreign film or something, right? But here's the truth. Is not science fiction. It's actually scientific fact. Uh, National Geographic reports that a group of scientists in Brazil discovered the zombie ant um, once a stalk of this fungus infects the ant and literally starts to grow out of their head and out of their brain, uh, the ant loses control of its body and the fungus actually compels the ant to march into locations that meet the ideal criteria for the fungus to multiply, replicate, and grow. Now let me ask you a question. Are we any different? I think it's a question that we should be thinking about this second week of All In as we explore the idea of really surrendering. Are we any different? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever found yourself in a position to where you're saying, why did I do that again? You're frustrated with yourself. You knew the truth. You had knowledge. For whatever reason, you did not apply that knowledge properly, which is really what wisdom is. And you find yourself sitting there, whether it's frustrated, angry, uh, just dismayed, thinking, how did I get here again? Look, the word of God glares at us when we think about that scenario that if I were to ask for a hand count, which I'm not because some of you would lie, um, don't want to double the sin in here, right? That, you know, every hand would go up. And the, and the word glares at us when it says, Paul wrote this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So why is it that we find ourselves doing the very thing we said, I'll never do that. And yet there we are struggling and wrestling. So we're in a six-week series talking about this all-in ministry plan for the next five years. And we are exploring over this six weeks bold actions of faith that take place in the scriptures. This is, like I said, a very special time here at Canoe Creek. We don't always have these types of seasons where we're uh, compelling the vision out there and we're talking about it with such clear tones and, and being committed to it. Like on April the 3rd, all of us are going to be entertained this commitment card and turning these in together, which I'm excited about doing. Um, and, and as we go into this series, uh, 
we are looking at these bold actions of faith. Last week, we looked at Jonathan. You remember his dad, King Saul? He's the king. He's in charge of caring for the people. He's sitting around in a hammock underneath the pomegranate tree. And his son, Jonathan, is the one who's taking bold, faithful action to get things done so the people of God are rescued and saved. And then this week, I want us to take a look at something that really highlights once again uh, the, this bold action of being all in, but what is it that slows us down? What is it that, that causes us to find ourselves in those positions like a zombie ant, root growing out of my head, I just did something, and I'm like, why did I do that? You know, what causes that issue in our lives. I want to turn our attention to Peter. I'll be honest with you, I got a lot of verses this morning. They're not isolated to one place, so it's going to be kind of hard to keep up. If you're using the Bible app, great, they'll be all in there. A lot of people like using that digital version because the sermon notes are there. If you're using your own Bible, God be with you. Try to keep up with me, right? But I'm going to share a lot of verses with you this morning. But before we do that, I just want to look at Peter, who if you don't know who that is, that's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He abandoned his way of life. He surrendered his way of life to follow Jesus. Now let's just think about Peter the disciple, right? Because this paints a great picture. Peter the disciple, he surrendered his way of life. He was a fisherman. He gave that up. He went to follow Jesus for three years and then on beyond that, obviously. He was ready and obedient. At one point before he started following Jesus, he'd been fishing all night. Nothing had happened. Uh, Jesus said, go back out here, let your, your net over the boat again. And it was already daytime and they know you, nobody catches fish like that and this isn't going to happen. But what did Peter do? He did it. He was ready. He was obedient. He was a man of faith. He stepped out on the water. He's most often blamed as a guy who didn't have enough faith and he sank. But I didn't see any other disciples out of the boat, did y'all? And before he sank, he did what? He walked on water. That's pretty awesome stuff. And he was a man of spiritual insight. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Who answered that? Peter answered that. He said, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. I mean, he, he was a man who demonstrated some amazing qualities of faith. He might, he might have been also described as bold, quick to act, strong-willed, and more, okay? But now, let's talk about Peter the man, all right? Not just Peter the disciple, but Peter the man. Uh, this is the same guy who forbids God face-to-face, forbids Jesus uh, from going to the cross. No, this is never going to happen. You're not going to sacrifice your life. Uh-uh. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty intense moment. You have God of all the heavens in the universe looking at you, and he calls you Satan. That's not a good moment. That's not a highlight, right? But it's recorded. That's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't just give us the fluff. It's not just fiction. It's fact. They record the good and the bad. Uh, Peter argued for a leadership position. He was right there with the rest of them when they were saying, hey, I want to be number one. Oh, I want to be number one. Peter was right there arguing. This is what prompted Jesus to say, you're not going to learn how to be my disciple until you learn how to deny yourself and surrender uh, your life. Uh, Peter was impetuous. He was stubborn. He was quick to act, which could be a quality in some ways, but that meant he was slow to think and act in a way that was good and so on. And there's an interesting exchange that takes place between Jesus and Peter, and it takes place in this last night of the life of Jesus. 
and takes place when we have this special event that happens with Jesus and his disciples. It's recorded for us in great depth in John chapter 14 on. And Jesus really pours out his heart in many ways during this time. But there's this exchange that takes place that if you're not familiar with it, I want to make sure that you get familiar with it. If you are familiar with it, I want to remind you of some important things that we recognize here. Uh, Peter asks Jesus a question. And I'm going to jump around in the story a little bit to help paint a picture for us, but Jesus uh, uh, basically is engaging with him, and Peter asked him a question. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Now, simplistically, somebody can look at this and say, well, I know that Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to die. So therefore, well, obviously Peter can't follow him. He can't. He certainly could have. He could have been right there along his side every step of the way. We could be talking about the story today of how Jesus was crucified and the cross next to him, Peter was crucified. That could have been the story. I think there's more play here than just a simplistic view. I think what Jesus is responding to him is saying, hey, listen, you want to follow me? You think you know what it takes to follow me? I think you desire to follow me. But guess what, Peter? Here in just a little while, you're going to find yourself standing there thinking, why am I in this place again? Why did I do the very thing that I said I don't want to do? And so I think there's more at play in how Jesus is responding uh, to him when we look at this. Now, we, we talked about Peter and, and the man and some of the highlights that are actually some of the lowlights, right? The lesser qualities of him. But he has a greater problem that we haven't even noticed yet. It's being highlighted in how Jesus responds to him. You want to follow me, but you can't. Not yet. And I think this problem is true for many of us. I think it's the problem why we find ourselves in that place at times going, why am I here again? Like a zombie ant having marched to some place and done something and woken up as soon as it was done with. Now the issue in Peter's heart becomes a lot more evident in how uh, the last night of Jesus' life unfolds. Listen to this as we fast forward a little bit. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. He's being arrested, and and look at what takes place. Uh, Then seizing him, that is arresting Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, Peter said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Now, why is this so dramatic? Okay, he lied. But why is it so dramatic and emphasized so much within the scriptures. I mean, the denial alone is dramatic when you think Peter spent three years with this man and then he denies him. And you got to understand, it's just like, I denied him. The way in which it's expressed within the Greek, it's a complete and utter disassociation. 
I have nothing to do with him. I want nothing from him. I mean, to the nth degree. It is a complete and total separation and disassociation. And as we look at that and think about that, some of you are familiar with this story. Some of you are not. But this took place, this is what makes it even more dramatic. This is what took place just a few hours before this. Look at what we're told here. Jesus is meeting with his disciples and Jesus told them this very night, you will fall away on account of me for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now, Peter always gets the rap. All of them said the same thing. Peter was the only one close enough in a position to where people could recognize him and say, hey, aren't you one of them? To make the denial, but it's certainly emphatic with him. But look at the last one, the third denial. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Think about the unique construction of that entire scene. It's about an hour later. And we know from the story that Jesus was being beaten, that his face began to be disfigured as he was covered in blood. And at just the right moment, at just the right time, Jesus looks, whether over his shoulder in some way, he locks eyes with Peter, and Peter in that moment realizes, I've done the very thing I said I would never do. And he weeps bitterly. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself doing something you said you would never do, wondering why am I here again? This is true of every human heart. This is true of those who are loosely affiliated with Canoe Creek Christian Church. This is true of those who have been here since day one. This is true of those who are heavily engaged with Canoe Creek as of this moment. This is true of every human. This is a struggle. This is a difficult issue that all of us face. Jesus told Peter earlier on before the denial, where I'm going, you cannot follow. It was not about death. So why was it that Jesus said, you can't follow me? The same reason he would say it to all of us if we were in that same position as well. Peter, in that moment, was not yet prepared and ready to follow Jesus because he had not yet come fully to an end of himself. And this is something all of us struggle with. 
This is something all of us on a daily basis are trying to press into. The hardest conversion in the world is the one that Peter demonstrated for us. Our conversion isn't played out on the pages, is it? Peter's is. And it's a conversion from self. It's a conversion from what I want. It's a conversion from all me to all in living for the purpose and plan of God. And it's the most difficult one because it is a path that can only be traveled with a heart that is being surrendered consistently. Uh, The only way for this church to move forward into the ministry plan that God is calling us into over the next five years is if every heart is engaged with the vision. We will move at the speed of the hearts of the congregation to accomplish what it is that we're called to, to have better education for us, for our kids, for our community as they come in, to have better facilities, to love and care for and meet the needs of everybody, and to begin to express uh, our theology, our beliefs, our mission, vision, values in a way that really authentically speaks to and loves uh, a Spanish speaker's heart, right? And we'll only accomplish those things at the speed of which every heart determines this is something I need to surrender. This is a place where I need to ultimately let go. And here's how we see that in just uh, four simple things. Simple things stated, not simple things done, but you have the struggle. We see in Peter's life this struggle. This is what I want. This is what I think. This is how it should go. Jesus, you're never going to die. That's just not going to happen on my watch. And God says, get behind me, Satan. That struggle between what I would desire to do, serving at the pleasure of my own desires versus serving at the pleasure of the will of God, it's a struggle. It's one we engage in every day. The failures, there is no growth without humility. If you're not putting your heart before the word of God, surrounded by the people of God consistently, your heart is going to be a hard place and it's not going to be fertile soil in which when failures happen in your life, not if, when, you have the humility to accept it, to be admonished, to be directed and guided, to be somebody who says, I'm going to be different than that as the time comes and as I grow. But the failures is something that we must experience, we must go through. Now, to some degree, right, we can all be thankful that our failures aren't chronicled in a story like Peter's. But how is it that your failure and your humility can be an amazing story to somebody else? So often I think we fail to humble ourselves before somebody else, but yet that humility in demonstrating that to them is the very thing that they need to see. Whether we brought the failure on our own or just the circumstances were perfect for uh, causing it to to boil up or whatever it may be. But the struggle, the failures are essential. The word is absolutely essential as well. The word of God is always there to calibrate our lives. Peter said what? I remember what the Lord said. When we fail, 
when we struggle, our hearts are drawn into the word, I pray, because you've stored the word of God in your heart. By putting yourself in a position where you're surrounded by the word of God, you're surrounded by the people of God consistently so that the word of God speaks to you in the moment. You know what that is? That is why the world has been radically changed ever since the day of Pentecost, after Jesus Christ was dead, buried, and resurrected. And on the first day in which the sermons were preached about the, the who Jesus was, the Messiah, the King of the universe, the Holy Spirit came came on the people and flooded the, the, the people of God in such a way that the word of God is still being spread dramatically to this day. We have no less of that spirit today. And when you have some sort of moment in which the word of God is being brought to your mind as you go through a struggle, as you experience a, a failure, it is trying to calibrate you to say, this is what you want. And I get it. It's hard in a broken world, but this is what God says. What will you do? It all depends on whether or not you will choose to surrender. And oh man, there's the fourth one and nobody wants this one and I'm with you, but it's the pain. Peter, when it says he wept bitterly, it does not mean he just had a good cry. It means the man was broken. From top to bottom, his life was ruined. He was completely turned inside out. And he just did not know where he would go from there. It's a painful experience to be moved and broken like that. Look at any of the amazing characters throughout the Bible who take bold steps of all-in action. And tell me, which one of them ever got to a place in which they were surrendered to God in the way that they were to do some amazing and powerful things for the people of God that did not first experience some significant amount of pain in their life? It shapes us, it becomes a platform, and it absolutely has the ability to transform us as well. Peter said, I'll never deny you, and still he does. And when you find yourself in this place, a place of contradiction to your own heart. The question is, how will you respond? How will we respond? Accepting the struggle, admitting to the failures, being admonished by the word of God, and persevering through the pain, knowing that God is preparing us for something greater on the other side. When we respond in that way, we're learning how to, in every way, in every moment, surrender to the plan that God has for us individually as well as corporately. This is how we surrender our hearts, by engaging in the struggle, not giving up, right? By accepting the failures and knowing that we are made renewed in Christ, by allowing his word to admonish us and, and accepting the pain when it may come at various times. And this is how the church advances the vision of God as we grow together in this way as well. Had Peter not accepted this opportunity, had he not engaged in and leaned in and surrendered and gone all in for a plan of God, here's what would have happened, right? The church would have moved on. The, the sermons preached on that first day of Pentecost when the Spirit came down and and radically infected in an amazing, powerful way, the people of God. It would have happened, all of it. The world would have been blessed to the point it is to this day to have the presence of God through his church, like this one here at Canoe Creek, sharing his word and his will and his love with people in the community. Uh, so 
we would have been blessed. Others would have been blessed, but it would have gone without him. Peter would have missed out on being a part of that amazing blessing because he would have failed to struggle to surrender his life to the plan that God had ultimately for him. Look at what happens in the last episode, so to speak, the last uh, moment, the, the last thought we get from John in his gospel. It's after Jesus had resurrected. He's re-engaging again with his disciples. And this is when they're eating breakfast together one morning. Look at what it says. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's no coincidence that it's three times. There's an emphasis here and an impact and then look at what goes on to be said here just to, uh, the, in the next couple of verses. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, Jesus says, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter's still struggling with this. I don't know about you, but I would. Uh, to the point that he is ultimately just trying to take it one day at a time, surrender one piece and part at a time. Here's why we know, because he basically goes on to look at John, who's sitting there and says, what about him? What have you got for him? Jesus basically says, worry about yourself, Right? Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, he says, what I have for him is what I have for him. What I have for you is what I ultimately have for you. Here's the reality in that. No one can surrender for you. Your spouse can't, your kids can't, your parents can't, your church can't. Only you can choose and make the decision uh, to go all in for God, to live for the purpose and the plan of God. Only you can through struggle, through failures, through the word of God, through experiencing pain and all of that, come to an end of yourself to where you finally say, I'm all in and my life is dedicated to the purpose and plan that God has for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to look at the story that is chronicled for us in a very powerful fashion to encourage us to see uh, this progression, this transformation, to know that we can take the same steps every day, uh, to submit ourselves to you a little bit more today than we did yesterday, to surrender to you as best that we can. Uh, Father, our passion and our desire over the coming weeks is that we would understand more how we can together as a as a church body grow and our desire to be all in 
for your purpose, for your plan, and whatever it is that we are called to. Uh, Father, as we're called to serve, I pray that you'd help us find the place to serve. As we're called to give, I would pray that you'd provide for us the resources to give. As we're called to uh, give our hearts in growing more and knowing you, engaging in groups or engaging in classes, I pray, Father, that you would find us all faithful and surrendering in that way. Lord, help us to take action in our lives, in our church. Help us to surrender our lives as we surrender uh, this plan that you would desire for us to you. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.